0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading.
1: Okay, James chapter 5, and he's going to jump into something pretty forthright here, pretty pointed, but here's what he says. Uh, And and again, this is James, not Peter, James, and John, the three disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is James, the eldest sibling of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, a half-brother. Okay, chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your misery that is coming upon you. Wow, that's heavy. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your misery that is coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corrupted, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire." You you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the earthly and latter rain." So let me stop there. Boy, he really gets on the case of the rich here. And he talks about how the rich have been building up their riches, their wealth. They've got money in the bank and so on and so forth. Well, is that the big error? Is the big error that they've got all this money in the bank? No, the big error is not the amount of money that they have in the bank. The big error is, number one, how they got that. And number two, what they did or didn't do with it. And so it all comes from the heart. It comes from being submitted to God and his ways. Your priorities, is God your God or is money your God? Is pleasure your God? And so like he was saying in the earlier chapter, uh, chapter four, the fights and wars between people come from the war that rages in our hearts that we want pleasure. I want my life to be good. I want my life to be comfortable. And what'll happen is we'll nudge somebody else out so that their life is less comfortable so that ours can be more comfortable. That can happen within a family. It can happen within a business. It can happen within an organization, a ministry. It can happen in any setting where we allow what's inside of us to take advantage of people take advantage of circumstances take advantage of knowledge that we have and such and so he's saying here he's saying you rich you, you who have compromised because you since you have riches since you have an advantage you have more opportunity you keep leveraging that opportunity leveraging that opportunity to re- remove the opportunity from other people and he even goes on to say there are people who have, and he gives this example, they've mowed your fields. But you haven't paid them. And you know you haven't paid them. You have plenty of money in the bank to pay them. But you did not pay them. And here they are. They're living on a whole different level and lifestyle uh, and, and having a lifestyle than you do. They live very meager, maybe even impoverished. And Here they were depending on them working for you for a day, for a week, or whatever, and for you to pay them, and then you didn't pay them. They don't have backup. They don't have a nest egg. They don't have reserves. And you have all these reserves, and you held that back because you just want to hang on to your money, and you don't want to pay anything unless you have to. And James is confronting that, and that can be applied in so many different ways. James is confronting that and saying, you're going to get yours. You think you're going to get away with that. But there is a righteous judge who is watching this happen. And he's a compassionate God. And he's watching these disadvantaged people being taken advantage by the advantaged people. And he's saying, you're not going to get away with that. And every time you do something like that, he's writing the book, writing the record, and you're going to be judged for that. And so that's why he starts off to say, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And I tell you what, in the United States, because we've been such a wealthy country, somebody might even consider themselves not wealthy, but by the world standards, you are wealthy or by even maybe by the standards of others around you, you are wealthy. Though you wouldn't consider yourself that. And sometimes we take our positions and we take advantage of people. And we should stop right now and ask the Lord to, number one, forgive us for ever doing that. And number two, to strengthen us by the Holy Spirit to never do that again. So, Lord, we ask right now in Jesus' name, first, that you forgive us. For any time that we have with any wealth or position, any status that we have, that we've taken advantage of other people, forgive us, Lord, because that's so wrong of doing that. Forgive us for any compromise that we've had with money. Or wealth or riches or position. Forgive us, Lord. Our flesh and our carnal, the carnality that's still left in our minds can, can do wrongly with those things that you've afforded us. So, Lord, forgive us from all of that. We confess those things as wrong. We confess those things as sin. And now, Lord, we ask you to strengthen us by the Holy Spirit. Help us to do it right. Help us to use the wealth. Help us to use the position. Help us to use the influence that we have to lift other people up and to give them a shot, to help them to to have the same advantages that we do. Lord, and help us to do right. Help us to honor you in everything. Help us not to serve money, but to serve you and to serve other people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, Uh, let's see. Let's pick it up again in verse five. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and the, and he does not resist you. So you, you think because you have re, been resisted, they can't stop you. You just keep going. Therefore, be patient, brethren. Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it uh, receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. So it seems like he stops talking to the rich and he begins to talk to these other brethren who, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been taken advantage of. And they've been trying to do it the right way. But they're not seeing yet the harvest. They're not seeing the benefits of doing it the right way. And he's saying, be patient, be patient. He'd be patient. When the Lord gets here, he's going to set everything right. He's going to make sure to reward those farmers who have been sowing the fields and working the fields the right way. I don't mean necessarily literal fields. We're talking about living their life the right way, speaking the right things, responding the right way in truth and humility and righteousness. He's saying, you just wait. The early and the latter rain are going to come. Uh, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, You know, I just had this thought, and I never had, had it before, but he said, waiting patiently for the early and the latter rain. Well, I wonder if that is the early rain of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and then the latter rain, that there's going to be yet another major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And after that, the Lord Jesus is going to come back. He says, for the early and the latter rain, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Well, I never had had that thought before. I can't say it dogmatically, but that is interesting, isn't it? Okay. Verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Do not grumble against one another. Complain against one another, lest you be condemned. Oh, well, folks, let's not be like that. Let's have joy in our hearts. Let's have love in our hearts for one another. Let's not worry about uh, who's the biggest servant. You be the biggest servant. Jesus said, you be the neighbor. Verse, uh, well, verse nine again. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Wow. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, so we saw all that Job went through, but the end that was intended by the Lord was that Job got you know, double blessed what he was before, but he not only got double blessed with uh, material things, his family and such, but he got blessed with insight to God, relationship with God, uh, connection, fellowship with God that he did not have prior to all those trials. Verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Let me just make a, a comment back with you have heard the perseverance of Job and wait for the coming of the Lord. What he's saying is look, you may be going through some things right now, but God always has your best interest in mind. In other words, if you'll believe God, stand on his word, thank him that his promises are true. He's going to bring them to pass. Yes. But all those hardships, persecution, the things that you're going through, hey, just know God's going to turn it all around. Even Jesus said this, he said, he said, when people spitefully abuse you, persecute you and such, he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. If that's done for my sake, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And James is saying the same thing, like, it's not going to be long. Jesus is going to come back. And I'm telling you, he will right every wrong. Okay, so brethren, above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. So don't be saying, I swear to God or I swear uh, on uh, my mother's grave and such. He's saying, don't don't do all that. He said, just let your yes be yes. And just let your no be no. Because otherwise you're bringing more judgment on yourself by making all those extra promises. Verse 13. "Um, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now let me just stop right there because I want to show you a little pattern that we're going to hit in the next verse. He said, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now we can pray for him, but notice James says, let him pray. Why? Because when you're suffering and you pray to God, it makes a difference. You're calling on the Lord to come help you in your suffering. He said, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Well, you're the one cheerful. Why would I sing psalms for you? If you're cheerful, you sing, right? If you're suffering, you pray. Yeah, we can pray with you, but you need to pray. And I, I wanted to point that out because look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. I think too fast we call on other people to pray for people that are sick. And we're not allowing them to make that Call. I'm not necessarily talking about a literal phone call, but let them initiate it. Let them take that step to say, yes, I would like the elders of the church to pray over me. Now, why is that? Well, we're going to see in just a minute. Sometimes people don't have their lives right. They're not in a position to receive healing or anything from God because they're not living right. Well, they don't want to call the elders of the church over if they're not living right because it, it could be exposing that they're not living right. And so they don't call. Well, then we call and we rally all this, but see, it doesn't change the fact that their lives are not right. But when you decide, hey, I need to humble myself. I need to initiate this. I need to call for God. I need help. I need to call on the elders. I need help here. Now something has shifted in your heart to where you're open to the Lord. You're ready to receive and also ready to make the decisions that you need to make to be in a position to receive from God. So let's read it now. Is anyone among you uh, sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. By the way, when it says the elders of the church, this very likely is for most people, a house church. James is writing to all these people. He's not talking about the elders of some, the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. No, he's writing to people, the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. No, likely they're in a house church, and there are elders in that house church. So he said, let them call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's in the name of Jesus. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, And the Lord will raise him up. Now, let me just stop there. You notice how this is so absolute. It will happen. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Let him call for the elders, and they'll pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Well, you want to ask the question, doesn't James know that not everybody gets healed? Doesn't God know God inspired this? This is God's word. Why would God say this so absolutely? Because God believes it so absolutely. Because James believed it so absolutely. (laughs) Why does it not work for us? Because we don't believe it so absolutely. And we don't follow instructions. Sometimes we don't let people call. And you're going to see in just a moment that there's some other reasons that hold it back. In fact, there are a lot of reasons that are not actually stated here, but they're all under one category that it's going to bring up. Watch this. So it says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. This is the way we should talk. This is the way we should teach. Because we don't teach this way, we don't preach this way, people don't believe it this way. And therefore, they have doubt in their heart. They're double-minded. And that's why Uh, Largely, they don't receive, just like it said in James chapter 1. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. You're doubting in your heart. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, it says. See, so we need to be taught the Word of God. It sounds too good to be true, but God's Word is true, and God is faithful to His Word. So if we'll teach it right, we'll believe it right, and then we begin to see the results of God's promises being true. When we don't teach it right and we put disclaimers, well, sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes God doesn't do it and he changed his mind or he's got a better reason for not doing it. He's got a higher purpose. He knows something in the future. We add all of that to what it says. And because of that, people don't believe the pure word of God anymore. Faith, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing By the word of God, not everybody's commentary on what it means. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Oh, wait a minute. And if he's committed sins, what does that mean? Often, folks, the sin in our lives opens the door to the sickness. And so by calling for the elders, you're also ready to be forgiven from sins. And if he's committed sins, those sins will be forgiven. And we know that this, somebody said, well, how do you know that that sin is what James is talking about as a cause of the sickness or as a cause of not receiving the healing? Well, the next verse, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. (laughs) Boy, you can't get any more clear than that. He's saying, look, we all miss it. And when you miss it, you need to confess that, confess to one another and pray for one another. Now, this is in the context of the elders being right there and confess and let the elders declare you're not only forgiven, but you're healed. Sounds just like Jesus. Your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders had a had trouble with that. He said, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, rise and walk, and the man was healed. So notice Jesus put them all in that same category because evidently with that lame man, there was sin involved. (laughs) And it gave place to the devil. When we sin in our lives, it gives place to the devil who can attack us and bring any number of things, including sickness. So we not only need to get the healing, but we need to get the sin out which gives place to the devil to cause those things. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, who's the righteous man? Somebody said, well, the ones that are praying for us. Yes, yes. However, it's also talking about the person who just confessed his trespasses. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. See, your prayer for healing has not been answered because you haven't been in right standing with God. You've allowed sin. But now that you've confessed your sin, and now that you've been forgiven from your sin, pray it again. (laughs) Pray it again. And see if God is not faithful to his word to bring these things to pass. Okay, And then he says, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, human nature, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so he's saying, look, Elijah, not even born again, by the way, he prayed earnestly, and because he was right with God, God stopped rain. James is saying, do you realize the power that can be unleashed from God with a righteous man praying fervently? See, James is saying prayer works. God will answer prayer, but you got to get your heart and life in alignment, excuse me, so that when you pray, you're in the will of God, submitted unto the Lord, and now the power of God can be released. Okay, look at these last two verses in the book of James. Brethren, if anyone among you, brethren, so we're talking to believers here, I want to clarify that, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, what does that mean? They were saved, they were living right with God, but they wandered, they began to stray from the ways of salvation. They, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is one of the passages in the Bible that prove that people that were born again and part of the brethren can wander from the truth and be subject to going to hell. Some people think, no, it can't happen. If you're saved, you're always saved. No, that's not true. No, the Bible is clear in many passages. This is one of them. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. That person would have, that soul would have experienced death. Soul death, that's not just dying physically. Oh, that's going to hell. He said, we'll save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So this shows us that absolutely you can choose to wander from the truth and lose your salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank God for brothers and sisters who will talk to us and win us back to the truth to walk in the ways of God. Let's walk in the ways of God. Let's make it all the way to heaven and live eternally together with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what a great book, the book of James. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Deerman, And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give.